Our Better Business series is supported by the Farm Business Resilience Program through the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund and the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Across these next few weeks and episodes, we're going behind the scenes and chatting to some people who are making some serious impact and inroads across Australia. And they're not just limited to agriculture. Our aim is to uncover what's worked for them, discuss their learnings, and through their stories, provide ways for you to get some of those aha moments or things that might be able to benefit you, your business, and your community. Well, welcome back. I'm sitting on Wadarung Country as part of this podcast, and I'm really excited for you to hear today's guests. Over this series, we've chatted to some really interesting and fascinating people, understanding how they've approached various aspects within their business, whether that's been business management, communication, succession. And today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Bea Litchfield and Ed Bradley. They are joining us from Nikuma at the property that they run called Hazeldean. Now, in this first part of this two-part episode with them, we'll be understanding a little bit about their backgrounds, what their drivers are, a little bit about the business and the history that is Hazeldean, who's involved in it today and how they actually have managed going through family succession, as well as some professionalisation that they've had within the business, including the appointment of a board, regular strategy and various meetings, and how they approach communication. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Better Business Series. This series is sponsored by the Farm Business Resilience Program through the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Across the next few weeks and episodes, we're sitting down with different people from Grace Brennan at Buy From The Bush. Today, we're sitting down with Ed Bradley and Bea Litchfield to find out a little bit more about their business, Hazeldean Litchfield, and what it's like in the modern age. Welcome, guys. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks, Ollie. Good to be here. All right. First question, let's just hit the ground running. How are you both feeling about being on the podcast? I think it was an honour to be asked. Very happy to be here. I'm a little nervous. Are you? Yeah, always. Why is that? You just don't want to know what you... You don't want to not know what you sound like. Oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> I've somehow managed to keep doing it, so if I can do it, anyone can. But for you guys, you're down in that little pocket of the Monero. How are things going down there? Let's chat seasons. How's it all looking for you? Uh, well, at this time of the year, it's always, you know, getting a little bit tight on the feed front. It's looking pretty wintry. Got a lot of cattle feed around, but young stock feed is our leading factor right now. And I've always wondered about you two. Are you guys skiers or are you that close to the ski slopes that you don't really go? We are skiers, but it's, it is. The ladder. The yeah. ladder. <laughs> we, we can ski well, but we don't ski very often. Oh, when you do, I'm sure you make it count. Yeah. Guys. Your husband and wife partnership, you've got two young boys, but B, can you just run us through a little bit about Hazeldean and the history of the business and what it's like today? Yep. So Hazeldean has been very much a family business. It was established in 1865 with a merino stud and then the Angus stud was established in 1926 and we've been running commercial sheep and commercial cattle alongside stud animals for um, the sixth generation. We were the first stud to start objective measurement in the sheep, and so that's been a you know fundamental part of our business and breeding program has always been very much numbers and data-driven decisions. And I guess like the motto of the family has always been, you know, innovation. So that's sort of been part of breeding with you know new technologies and when the new technology was objective measurement and now we're using dna testing 
and a lot of you know AI work and ET work to you know get as as quick a genetic gain as we can. So you know we're just continuing on trying to breed the best animals for the merino industry and the Angus industry today. And I think I remember reading like a couple of years ago. Was it your grandfather who was I'm going to say uber progressive in terms of his approach? I think was awarded numerous things for it as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your grandfather? Yeah, so he was. Yes, he was uber innovative. And it was at a time where there was a fair bit of pushback on, you know, it was a very new concept, breeding with objective measurement and, you know, recording weights and recording in the sheep game, particularly the fleece tests and and using that all through a computer-based program to produce breeding value. So it was very new and, you know, there were a lot of people that were quite anti that sort of progression and he was amazing because he was a very, he was just the sort of pinnacle of a gentleman but he was very strong in his leadership in that he knew that that's the way of the future and that was the best way to be breeding our animals and he really stuck to it and sort of was a, what's it called? Pioneer. Pioneer, yes. And so who's involved in the business today, B? So there's my dad who's our managing director and then there's myself and Ed. We've got another four managers across the farms and then you know we've got station hands and other crew and so within that for yourself and ed like so your old man's the managing director are you guys then sitting at the level overseeing all the other business i call them business units yes without yeah yeah we are that's where we're at and it's i mean we're at a stage now with i suppose the sort of transition between the you know, roles and responsibilities where you know just trying to be across everything as a collective at this point in time. And Ed, I'm interested in your background. I know you're at Marcus Oldham, I think, and studied equine, and then you've had various different roles in the racing industry, meat, livestock, etc. What is your background? Yeah, so you're right. I was at Marcus in 2011 and then went to Sydney and finished a Bachelor of Commerce up there and go to uni in the evenings and... Uh, saddle up young racehorses early in the mornings at Randwick for the Waterhouse family. That was really good, very testing. You push the boundaries on sleep. And uh, uh, I finished uni and um, decided to step out of the racing gig and hopped into a meat trading role for a company named Riverleaf, which is a big pig farming group near Corowa that JBS now owns. So I did a couple of years there and... Meanwhile, my red-headed girlfriend from the Monero had given me a tap on the shoulder and said, how about you come down and uh, do a few weeks cattle work? And we did, and then that turned into how about you come down and join the crew. Sat down with future father-in-law, talked about how that would work and the expectations and rough plan. And a few years later, we got married, and then not long after, we had first baby boy, and here we are. Simple as that. I want to know, was was the racing side of things like a a real interest, or was it kind of a hobby that was filling the stopgap between coming back into ag? Oh, no, it was a real interest. I was pretty committed to the thoroughbred game, and I had a long time searching for a good job, and... It kind of never came across for me. I just probably didn't get the progression that I got, so I probably got turned off it a bit and ag was beckoning and a few more doors opened. And, um, yeah, I didn't really go to my master plan from when I was 
18, really, but that's the twists and turns of life, I suppose. You fell in love. And what about for you, Bea? Because you came home fairly young, but what were you doing beforehand? So, I, well, I did my first year uni up at Armidale at UNE, which I had an absolute ball. And then I transferred to Sydney Uni and did three years of ag science there. And then I worked for Hassad Australia for a little while before coming home. I did come home a little bit earlier than, you know, first anticipated. Just, I mean, like anything, it's about timing. And it was sort of a few things happened at home and I had to come home a bit earlier than I expected. Was the plan always, like from when you were a teenager, choosing what degrees you were studying, was it always to end up back at home or did you kind of have this vague area? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I find it really funny, you know, growing up with siblings, you're all under the same roof, you know, you've got the same parents and same environment essentially, but I suppose it is just genetic if you're into it or not and what your interests are. And I've just always been really keen on everything to do with the farm and particularly animals. I did want to be a vet for a while, but then I decided that, you know, I probably need to broaden through agriculture to, you know, get the skills I needed to come home. But yeah, I mean, I used to wait outside the stables and go out with managers weighing calves before school when I was, you know, in the dead of winter when I was, I don't know, in primary school. And, you know, my brother and sister couldn't think of anything worse, but that was just what I loved doing. So, I don't know, it's just, I suppose it's just in you or not. My God. Yeah, that has <laughs> got from a different cloth. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about your siblings. So, like, are they involved in the business now or what are they up to? No, they're not. So my brother is, well, he actually studied law and was very good at it, but then he decided that his interest was in filmmaking. So he is currently working on a few series and, you know, trying to get his career going as a director. And my sister is, she's recently just had a baby and she has been very involved in sort of interior architecture and, you know, she's quite a creative person. So we are all quite different. Very different, all three of you. Yeah. And let's chat about succession with you guys. Like, it, we've chatted off air a little bit. It really has been part of the conversation for quite some time in your family. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think, I suppose that comes with a business that has got so many generations in there. You know, you sort of always known the story of, you know, your grandfather, your great-grandfather and the history of the family. So it's always sort of been understood that the person that does take on the farming business essentially gets the lion's share but it's not you know it's the work of generations so it's been very much on the understanding that if you and you know the hard work that goes behind it as well so it's it's not like you're getting more than what you know the others are getting it's more you know what you're in for and you know they know what they're in for if they decide to come home or not come home if that makes sense so it's always been sort of talked about of what everyone wants to do. And so was that part of literally conversations around the dinner table or did you guys from a young age, were you included in some of the business type conversations that were happening? Uh, it's been around, oh, it's sort of been around the dinner table, but it's then, you know, we've been included in like, we've got board board meetings twice a year. And I suppose I would have been, me and my brother have been going to the board meetings since, I don't know, he must have been about 21 or so. When he started going and he doesn't, he's not actually coming to any of the board meetings anymore because he sort of made the decision that he didn't really want to be involved. But that was originally, we were both present at the board meetings, you know, early 20s. So who's involved in that board? And is that something that 
your dad implemented? Was it something that your grandfather kind of brought in? Uh, it was something that I, my dad brought in just to give a bit more structure and a you know a bit more advice into the business. Yeah, so currently we've got Sandy McEachern from Aggregate Ag on the board and our accountant from Canberra, who's also on our board, Glen O'Sullivan. And so, like, I'm interested in these, the board meetings, is that, like, what are you guys covering without going into specifics? Like, is it where the business is today in 12 months, five years? What does that actually look like for you guys? Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, the purpose of it is to provide the strategy of the business and where we want to be going. And it's basically how we're tracking and where we want to be going. And I guess any opportunities that, you know, we can capitalize on. And Ed, for you, let's chat about being the in-law coming into a family business. Talk me through it. Like it's a pretty big decision to go from turning up, doing some cattle work for a few weeks to actually pursue your whole career. Yeah, it is. It um, it's definitely not a regular job, and that you there's a lot more at stake. You can't like if you're in, you're in. There's no there is an out, but there isn't. Like you kind of if it didn't work, it would leave more of a uh, mess as if you resigned at a normal job. Not that I want to resign, but. <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be structured. It needs like to it's be... not like a clear cut. This is your boss, but he's only your boss. He's your boss, and he's your father-in-law. So yep. there's a lot more relationships. A lot more relationships, and and you kind of your family. You're all on the one farm together. You spend a lot of time together. Family, you know, Christmas, Easter, social things, and it's important to try and I think segregate work stuff from and just be a family as well. The beauty of it is, is that you're ultra dynamic. There's literally nothing you can't do. You could like, because you got the key decision makers right there, and everyone is so invested. It's your whole life. It's your last name. I think it's an unbeatable structure. You're kind of like a diamond tip on it, but it's kind of it's a bit more complex than a regular job. So, yeah, I think I've kind of understood that fairly well getting into it. And I mean, luckily for me, the business probably needed someone in sales. And I'd done a bit of it and I don't mind talking to people. So whether you call that luck or like the Litchfield. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, and it grew there's a big opportunity to grow. The product is phenomenal and we probably needed more man hours put into the sales part of it. And so I was, yeah, really lucky that there was an opportunity there. And I think realizing you anyone doing it can realize a skill set and find an opportunity hopefully that you can apply your little skill set to a hole in the business or someone can you know they make room but i think yeah you, if you've got an opportunity to go where you naturally can go it helps that's been a critical part of the success of bringing bringing the in-law in <laughs> the in-law outlaw outlaw <laughs> Like for you, that would help you so much more, wouldn't it, with finding your feet in a business going, actually, well, I know how to sell and I can see where the business and family is going, that you actually didn't kind of have to just, I guess, conform to what was already happening. You actually could make your own stake that was valuable. Yeah, and that was pretty clear probably from the get-go. So, yeah, that was really lucky, I think. 
Question around your so succession is part of your family conversations. How do you guys approach it? Like, is it part of your business planning and your business communications as well in terms of that? I guess the evolution that's going to be from your dad be through to you both. Yeah, I mean the board meeting. It's always a pretty topical board meeting agenda. It has a lot to do with the accountants and every meeting with accounts. It's always there, and we're pretty lucky that B's dad Jim is pretty forward thinking with it and. You know, has it's been in the pipeline for five years at least already. Like things actually happening, which is really good. And he'll he can kind of enable some type of steady ease into retirement whenever he feels like. And everyone's across different roles to pick up mm. slack where you know if someone wants to be away or switch roles. And um, yeah, I think as long as people are forthcoming to change, it's easy. Easier. How do you guys manage that when you say, yeah, when people are forthcoming to, to change? Is that part of like the types of people you recruit? Is it how you guys communicate with them? Like how do you actually get them on board? Across the whole business? Yeah. It's a culture, I think. I think it is a culture and I think it's you sort of got to walk the talk a little bit. Like, you know, if you're – I mean, there's been things when I've – I mean, I've been very lucky when I first came home, for example, you know, we didn't have any electronic tags in the sheep. And, you know, I said, I think we should get electronic tags in the sheet. And, you know, Dad said, no worries, you just do it and look after it. So he's been very lucky in that from very early on, he's allowed us to make changes where we see value. And I think that sort of flows through the business too because if you say, okay, we're going to change this and you're changing it obviously for a good reason and then the results show an improvement in, you know, whether it's efficiency or productivity or whatever it is you know if, if that's sort of the culture of, you know if you want to make a change that's fine so long as it's improving something then that flows through everyone else that's working in the team and I think being a being a younger team we've got a pretty young team too like there's a lot of you know fresh ideas and just fresh attitudes I guess that does help with you know being able to facilitate change and and you know make it implement change yeah mm. It's super empowering, like when people actually feel like they're going to be listened to, but actually can contribute in a way that, yeah, if they can see a better way to do something, the feedback will actually be acted upon if they can kind of articulate how it's going to benefit the business or other people or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's it. Big time. Question on communication. I'm asking this because I'm curious. Do you guys think and talk a lot between yourselves in terms of how you're going to communicate before it goes out to talking to the team or is it something that you guys don't necessarily need to plan as much and it's quite organic. No, you've got to have a pretty structured approach, 100%, especially while we've had kids and be, you know, there's no genuine maternity leave in a business like this, so it's kind of, you know, B was checking emails the second day in a hospital bed after the morning. So, there's, you know, they, you just got to kind of do your best with, as you can, but also make sure that it comes across, especially the staff members in our team, that it's streamlined and everyone's across it. And group messages and WhatsApp groups and stuff like that do a really, really good job of that. And I mean, we're by no means perfect. I mean, every kind. I feel like anyone's communication can always be better. Better, but we, you know, we like to. We've sort of, I suppose, evolved because of having a young family. You've sort of had to evolve to make it, you know, more clear up for the team and, you know, so we do a lot of group messaging. I just try and give as much information as possible. We also have a share calendar that, you know, makes it makes it easier for the team to see what's coming up, yeah. which I think that sort of empowers people if they know broadly what is, you know, coming up in the next couple of weeks. That helps them sort of 
with life changes. You know, digest what's, you know, what are they in for for next week? You know, it's, I think that helps. We use AgriWeb. That's been a huge help to the business. Like that's just, again, it's more communication and it's having um, more of the team across, you know, when they go muster a paddock, how many they're meant to be getting. And, you know, that's, and that's also reduced the amount of direct communication that you've got to give if they've got more information coming from, you know, an app like AgriWeb, which does help the um, workload, I guess. I can't tell you, like, and little tools like that, but like the amount of anxiety I used to get. And I, I remember one day I had to go and knock out, I was working down near Moama and I had to go and remove a whole bunch of like irrigation pipes. I reckon for about six hours I was shitting myself that I was in the complete wrong place pulling these pipes out. I was like, this is going to make so much work for someone. Whereas simple tools like AgriWeb where you can see where you're at, where the mobs are, whatever it might be, like just how beneficial that would actually be for your staff, not having to second guess themselves. Oh, 100%. Especially when you've got someone new and they've like, you know, they hit the ground running and you're busy and, you know, you can just say, here's your farm map and you don't go. Yeah, you just follow the blue dot and that's where you are. Yeah, and I think phones, everyone but having access to phones the whole time has been yeah. a huge change. You, could, you know, it's really easy to make changes on the fly. And-, and it makes it easier to have, you know, perhaps someone that's a little bit less experienced, which is good for the industry because, you know, you've got to train people. If you've got sort of easy-to-manage tools and easier to sort of, you know, navigate systems then, it, you know, you can have less experienced people come and, you know, do the job, which helps in our current work environment. Hugely. So a couple of things so in terms of, the, I guess, the systems that you guys have brought in. You've got your shared calendars. You've got your group messages. From a business management perspective, you've got board meetings twice a year. What other meetings do you guys have with staff daily, weekly? Yeah. We'll catch up with the team, like the direct team on each farm every day, like every morning and pretty much... Every afternoon, oh, not every afternoon, yeah, but I mean as much as we need to. And then there's monthly managers meetings and then probably direct overall planning meetings between us every night from (laughs) 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. And like with those meetings, are you doing them face-to-face or are they just phone calls? What are they? Generally all face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So like your four different properties are all quite close to each other. Uh, yes. No, but the on farm, like the on farm meetings, you know, the daily, that's with the manager and their team. That's not us. Yeah. But then the managers' meetings, we're doing, we do do them face to face or via Zoom with, because we've got two properties over at Adalong. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, I think it's important too. It's good. It's a lonely game, Ag, sometimes. So the more you can get face to face together, the, the meetings are always a bit more productive and valuable, mm. I think. Yeah. So that's it for episode one. Make sure you tune in next week. We'll be bringing episode two live to you next Friday. So make sure you don't miss that one. This series is supported by the Farm Business Resilience Program through the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund and the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. And our aim is to sit down and chat with various people who have lived experience in business management. Through their stories, it's our aim to share their learnings, their approaches, and how they've supported developing themselves, their businesses, and their teams.